mythologies so far that I've spoken about this Halloween season. Um, little upset about that for myself because there's like a tremendously awesome amount of anthology films out there. Uh, I had mentioned uh, VHS in my entry for Siren. I did do an entry for uh, Trick or Treat, which is an anthology type film. And it's just like horror is the genre for anthologies. I don't think I really see many anthology type films told outside of the horror genre. So it's odd for me to have not really spoken about any this year, especially with the fact that I've watched two so far this season. You know, I've said numerous times that I always go back to things that are tried and true. And one of them is this Tales from the Dark Side fantastic 1990s horror film that's actually based on a television series of the same name from the mid 80s so it was kind of around this time where like everybody knew what um like the twilight zone was so they came up with a twilight zone movie that was the big thing if you had a series that was sort of like this you eventually wanted it to translate into movie we're also talking about the 90s where they really tried to make anything a movie. If you had a skit on Saturday Night Live, they made it a movie. Like, Coneheads was originally an SNL skit. They made it into a movie. You know what I'm saying? So, Tales from the Dark Side um, was a show that ran for about four seasons. It was kind of like the the same essence of, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Or um, Factor Fiction. You know, these 80s and 90s horror kind of shows, Tales from the Crypt, things like that. Uh, but I believe this was a little bit more drawn back because I think it was on like a regular network television show. So it couldn't be as uh, gory or as... Um, had to be a little bit PG is what I'm trying to say. So like it was on like CBS and stuff. So they really couldn't go full throttle. But then they came out with the film and the film went all out. And they did kind of a lot of what they really wanted to do. This also has a small, like, comedy uh, genre attached to it, because it does have a few comedy elements, Be you know, simply because it is still based on a CBS show that probably had a lot of comedy attached to it as well. But it is a grouping of really good stories, you know? the It, it, it intros on this, like, suburban-styled housewife in this big mansion who has this little boy locked up in a cage. He's reading stories out of a book titled Tales from the Dark Side. And what he's doing is he's prolonging this woman trying to cook him and eat him by reading her stories from the book. And he reads her three stories. The first story is called uh, Lot 249. Lot 249 is a story that stars, which, again, by the way, this is 90s. So you're talking, this is young premiere actors that are in this film. Christian Slater, Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore... Deborah Harry, James Remar, William Hickey. Like, this has a lot of 90s people that we all know and people that grew to be really big actors moving forward. And I'm not going to say this was, like, their their movie that brought them into the limelight. I'm just saying, like, this was a film that had some big-name actors in it for that point in time. So, Lot 249 stars uh, Steve Buscemi, Christian Slater, Julianne Moore. Steve Buscemi plays this... A uh, college student who is in lines with this other guy to get this grant. This other guy is friends with the Christian Slater um, character. Christian Slater's character learns that his friend cheated to win the grant and Steve Buscemi was jealous. 
because Steve Buscemi actually does the work. You know, this is college level stuff. They're trying to get money so they can push for grants for things they want to do and, you know, stay in college and make names for themselves. He's kind of just cheating his way through while Steve Buscemi is actually doing the work. And Lot 249 is this special antique that he gets shipped in that turns out to be this mummy. And this mummy has this scroll that allows him to control it to do the things he wants. And what he wants is revenge on the people that he knows has wronged him. So he sends it after the best friend of Christian Slater. And he also sends it after his sister, who's dating this best friend, played by Julianne Moore. And he murders the two of them. Well, Steve Buscemi doesn't. The mummy in con- that's being controlled by Steve Buscemi murders his two friends. Christian Sh- Slater learns this, kidnaps Steve Buscemi, and is like, show me how you control it. And he kind of dismantles the mummy, takes the scroll, burns the scroll, and says, this is never going to happen again, and I never want to see you in this in this building again. You know, I can't prove that it was you, but... And no one's going to believe me, but, you know, I'm going to make sure you can never do it again and you got to leave. So as he's leaving, he learns that he burned the wrong scroll, but there's no mummy. However, he can still use the scroll on the victims that the mummy has killed. So then he sends his his dead sister and friend after Christian Slater to kill him. And that's the story of Lot 249. Not the best of the three. There's definitely a better story, but that's later on down the line. And then it jumps back to the kid who's trying to convince the woman not to eat him. And then it, and then he hops back into another story called Cat from Hell. It's hard for me to say that this isn't, like, the dumbest of them all because it's written by Stephen King. It's, out of the three, it's definitely my least favorite simply because the story is really bad. Simply because it doesn't really make any sense. This... This head, this multi-billion-dollar pharmaceutical owner, hires this hitman to kill this cat who's murdering people in the house, and of course it's like true the cat is murdering people in the house, but it's just so like coincidental, and the and the murders just look so bad, and the hitman's like you're gonna pay me a hundred thousand dollars to kill a cat. And he's like, don't underestimate the cat. And of course, he underestimates the cat. The cat winds up killing the hitman and then killing the pharmaceutical owner. So it's this weird twist of events where it's like the whole point is that the cat is this like incarnation of the revenge of the pharmaceutical company doing experiments on thousands and thousands of cats that they just decided that they were going to murder the guy who runs the pharmaceutical company. It's not the best story. That's why I'm kind of just speeding through it and not going into further detail. There is, however, a great scene where when he kills the hitman, he jumps on his face and crawls into his mouth and, like, nestles in his stomach. And the way that the old man dies is when he discovers the body of the hitman, the cat is crawling its way out, and the old man, like, dies of a heart attack from the shock because he's seeing this cat claw its way out of the hitman's mouth the same way it came in. So... It's it's good like animatronics and it's good special effects, but the story is not as good as the other as the other two are. Now, the third story is probably the best one out of all three. It's called Lover's Vow. It stars um, James Remar, and I forget who the actress is that plays um, the um, the wife, one the, the the love interest. 
She's been in a couple of things, and she's got an interesting name. I feel like it's Ray. I feel like it's Ray Dawn. And what he does is he plays a starving artist. Now, he's at a bar drinking because he's not making money, and it's just his life sucks. He goes to leave with another drunken friend of his. His drunken friend gets murdered by this gargoyle-like creature, and he witnesses it. But the gargoyle spares him, and he says, I will spare your life under one condition. You must never tell anybody what you saw here. And he makes him promise. So that promise allows him to live. And on that same night, while he's still, like, petrified of the fact that, like, oh, no, there's a gargoyle flying around killing people, he runs into a woman who's in, like, like within, like, 20 feet. And she's like, what are you doing? And, I'm, and he's like, you have to get out of here. You have to get out of here now. And she's like, why? And he's like, I can't tell you why, but trust me. I'm not a creep, but you're in real danger. Just please come back to my house. I'll call you a cab and I'll pay for it myself. Just come back to my house. And they wind up falling in love. And they wind up staying together for years. And for some reason, he gets this, like, this this energy to be a better artist. So he makes better art. He draws better pictures. And he starts actually becoming vastly successful. While becoming successful, he falls in love with this girl, marries her. They start a family. They have kids. And it, it does a time jump where it's ten years down the line. He's an extremely successful artist. He's got a... Um, his agent, who's a lot happier with him now, who's, like, helping him with, like, family stuff now and whatnot. Like, he's got a really good life. And his he tries to give this gift to his wife, and his wife's like, you really can't give me anything that I don't already have. And he's like, well, I can give you something. And he shows her the, I think it's an image, or it's a statue, of the creature that he made the night he saw it. And she's like, what's this? And he's like, well... I never told you what happened the night we met 10 years ago, and this is what happened. And he explains to her the gargoyle, the death, and all that stuff. And she kind of just stares at him, and she screams, You promised you'd never tell! And then she starts transforming into the gargoyle. And, like, this whole time, the whole point of the promise was that the, the gargoyle creature could be human and live a normal life. But no, when he breaks the promise, it breaks the spell turns her back into a gargoyle. She kills the artist. Her kids turn into gargoyles and she flies them up out flies them up out of the um out of their like building. And then the next scene you see them they're they're positioned on like a roof like gargoyles like are on the top of buildings, but they're all but they're made of stone. That to me is the best story of the three that are portrayed in this film. Even so the fact that um, Ray Dong Chong, that's her name, Ray Dong Chong. She plays the, the, the love interest in that. So that's my favorite of the three stories. Then it jumps back into the kid and the, the woman who's trying to eat them. Now, mind you, the kid is, of course, his name is Timmy. Little Timmy gets trapped by the witch. Uh, that's played by Matthew Lawrence, a very young Matthew Lawrence. Again, this is 1990, so he's super young in this film. So... He can't convince the lady to not want to cook him. And she finally opens the cage and he winds up pushing her into like these needles that she has to try to like, you know, sew him up like a turkey. And she gets stabbed in the back and he, she drops the keys. He undoes the latches, pushes her into the oven, and then she cooks herself while he escapes. So it's typical anthology fashion to have a story that's around the other stories. And even though there's only three... 
this is just a 90s film that's just a, a good revisit for anybody who's never seen it. And it's actually caused me to sit here and think, you know, I don't think I remember much about the show either, being that the show is that old and it was four seasons, and I don't remember much from it. So I'm actually going to go and really dig into the show for a little bit to see if that was entertaining, if any of the stories overlap, or if these stories were unique to um, the film. Because even being unique to the film, like you had the, the Cat from Hell was written by Stephen King. The screenplay for the entire thing was done by George A. Romero. Lot 249 was also written, um, I believe it's an older tale written by our author Doyle, um, who's, a Scot who's a Scottish writer, but I believe this is just a depiction of a story he wrote that they turned into this film, this portion of the film, kind of like a, a modernized version of something he wrote. Uh, and then I believe that if that's Lot 249 and if Stephen King, Lover's Vow must be George R. Romero. So that's where you kind of get the, the, the feel of who or what and why, and why it kind of drifts into these different directions, which is also why you, you got to love anthologies because it shows those different, you know, artist directions and wh where they want to go with these films. T to me... I think it's a great film to revisit, especially if you love anthologies. And once I'm done with the show, maybe I'll do a, sh a completely separate entry just for the show itself. Just to see, like, you know, if there's any comparison, if it's even worth a revisit, being that it, that's... Th this by itself is a 30-year-old film, and that's I'm talking like a 35, 40-year-old show now that may or may not be worth it. But to me, the movie's worth it. The movie's a lot of fun.